Some of us have been talking about the book of John this week, and it says that the word became flesh, and so this is a, a powerful word, and so we want to honor Jesus in it because it's his words. But the reading for today is Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, sweetie. Man, it's really good to be together. Um, Do you mind if I pray for us? As we, uh, as we step into the Word of God, um, Lord, I just thank you that we are not a perfect people. Uh, our goal here this morning is not to pull off a perfect service. Uh, that's silly, and we're so far from being capable of that. Um, but what our goal is, is to meet with a perfect Savior, to see a perfect Savior more clearly, to open our lives up to you. For you to be the only somebody in this room. You are the one who says that this is your church, that you build your church. Um, your name is the only name on this church, and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, there is victory just in us being in this room because you are present with your people in your church. And Lord, as we open your word, um, would you open our hearts and our eyes to what it says? We don't want to play at church this morning. We don't want to just come and leave and just check something off a list and then move on as if we weren't actually in this room. But we want to meet with you. Our hearts long for you, even if we don't even know why we're here. Um, you know why we're here, and it's not an accident that we're all in this room. And so, uh, Lord, would you have your way in us and through us this morning? Amen. Um, so it's kind of silly, but uh, the genre of fiction in books, I was just thinking, I was like, that's kind of a gift to humanity, is just the genre of fiction. And a great thing, and I, I didn't grow up reading fiction. I didn't like geek out on fiction, fiction books. It wasn't until actually after college and I went through all the textbooks and stuff that I, I started reading some fiction. And I think one of the amazing things about fiction are the characters. The characters, a strong character in fiction can represent something that's just true of humanity. It can be a person that you use to kind of reflect your life on, to kind of use as a mirror um, and to grow in your own life. 
and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, and for you Lord of the Rings geeks, let me know later, but Theoden, I think, is the king of Rohan. Anybody in here can confirm or deny that? Theoden? Are we good, Phil? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So... Um, Théoden, so he's the king of, of Rohan, Lord of the Rings. When we encounter Théoden in the second volume in Twin Towers, um, it, it, we see a man who is acting like he's twice as old as he actually is. He lives in this dark chamber, and he has no desire to see light at all. It seems like all the life has been sucked out of him. Um, the cares of this world have just left Theoden. Like, he's actually physically like bent over, and he's a shell of his former self. He used to be known for these great works and great deeds, and now he's just this shriveled, bent-over guy who's, who's just acting like he has no life in him. And uh, he was a good warrior, but that was a long time ago, and his sword hasn't even been in his hand. In, in the, it doesn't tell us, but quite some time. Instead of believing that change is possible for Theoden and beneficial, instead he's become bitter to life and he's bitter to everybody around him. Now, there are times in my house where, like, I, I just find myself that way in an evening. I'm, like, frustrated, and I don't know why. It's just like I'm mad at the world, and I don't even, I can't even put my finger on what it is. And that's how Theoden is, like, living his life. Um, he's giving up thriving. He doesn't even try to thrive anymore. And what's connected with Theoden that you realize is that he has an advisor. His closest advisor, his name is Wormtongue. His closest advice. So if you ever have a friend like, or someone friend you on Facebook whose name is Wormtongue, you want to deny that, right? Like, don't listen to someone named Wormtongue. But uh, in all seriousness, so you might have a friend who goes, who is like that, uh, who maybe their name isn't Wormtongue, but everything they're telling you is contrary to life and thriving. And that is what Theoden has been hearing for a long time in his ear, and it's caused life to just leave him. And then Gandalf walks into his chamber. And so Gandalf and the other people walk in, and they come up to Theoden. And Gandalf, you can tell, is just is surprised by how dead Theoden looks. And is just, uh, it's just, you know, can't believe the guy he knew and now the guy that he sees in front of him. Gandalf invites Theoden to live a different story. And Gandalf says this, Now, Theoden, son of Thangle, will you listen to me, said Gandalf. Do you ask for help? He lifted up his staff. Gandalf lifted up his staff and pointed to a high window. There the darkness seemed to clear, and through the opening could be seen, high and far, a patch of shining sky. Not all is dark, Gandalf says. Take courage, Lord of the Mark, for better help you will not find. No counsel have I to give those that are committed to despair. Yet counsel I could give and words I could speak to you. Will you hear them? They are not for all ears to hear. I bid you come out before your doors and look abroad. So he refused to even leave the dark chamber. He couldn't even, he, wouldn't, he refused to even look up and see what's happening. So Gandalf says, I bid you come out before your doors and look abroad. And then this is the sentence that really shook me. Too long have you sat in the shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. 
So Theoden wisely starts listening to the right counsel, and he takes a step towards the light. Um, But before even going with what Theoden then says, um, you know, it just made me think, like, could Gandalf say that about my life? Could he say that about parts of my life? Too long have you sat in the shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. Then Theoden later, after he gets up and looks around and everything, he says, it's not quite so dark here. It's not as dark as he thought it was. And then Gandalf replies, no, nor does age lie so heavy on your shoulders as some would have you think. Because Wormtongue was whispering in his ear like, oh, you're so old. You're so feeble. Oh, you need to just rest. And he's saying stuff like that. So then Theoden actually goes on to have many battles ahead of him. He's fully engaged as a warrior king. He plays a huge role in defeating the evil of Saruman. Um, Many of us have been living for Jesus for many years now. But there are still parts of our lives, I know, and I know when I look in the mirror, that we've too long sat in the shadows trusted in twisted tales, follow crooked, crooked promptings. Um, some here have up to this moment not put their trust in Jesus and have uh, sat in shadows for a lifetime. All of us have Theoden inside of us. Uh, it just goes by a different name, sinful nature. The old self that we saw earlier in Ephesians, the flesh, we're prone to death, we're prone to give up, we're prone to listen to the wrong voices. We're prone to being a shell of our former self. We're prone to let the weight of the world bend us over. We're prone to act way older and way more feeble than we actually are. And here's what we're going to see this morning in Ephesians, is uh, God is actually talking to the church in Ephesus and talking to Sacred Mission Church in Collins. His word is, is able to handle both places. It speaks clearly to both places. And here... What we're seeing in Ephesians is that we're not designed to live bent over lives. We're not designed to live Theoden lives. We're actually designed to flourish. We are designed, even with a terrible health diagnosis, even with, with things happening, things breaking, all that stuff, we're made here to flourish and to flourish in Christ to be as alive in this place as the Ephesians were alive in Ephesus in the first century. Um, These verses in Ephesians 4, in the next 10 verses, we're going to encounter 13 commands. 13 times that God is commanding us to do something in Ephesians 4. And uh, these are commands that are for our good. Jesus even said, like, if you love me, You'll obey my commands, and they're not burdensome. You know, I think of, like, our favorite, like, coach. When the coach was like, you know, I remember a coach that I just loved, and um, Neil Seals, he was our track coach in Baxter, and uh, when, when he would say, like, Tim, I've got a command for you, I'd be like, yes, what is it? You know, because I knew it was actually going to be for my good, you know, and for the good of our team, and eventually it was just going to be good, you know, even though it might be terribly hard. And so here it's like, okay, guys, I'm going to give you 13 commands this morning and commands to see, hopefully, that it's not so dark here. Commands to come out from the shadow for God's praise, to be directed by him, 
And uh, man, let's keep our walls down. Let's keep our hearts soft. Let's keep our ears open. If our walls are up, Lord, we just look to you to bring them down. If our hearts are hard, would you melt them this morning for us to hear from you? If our ears are closed, if our eyes are closed, would you open them to hear you, to see you? Would these commands from these next 10 verses, Lord, would they be a joy for us to live out? Not so that you will love us, but because you love us that we can be free to just walk in your light. Look at verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So if we were going to summarize this section, the, pro- the profound thing that I feel like the Lord is telling us here is that you can flourish in the church. You can flourish in the church. If it's like, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. And God is like, I know. And you might feel beaten down by this world. But what I'm, gonna, what I'm walking you into here is that you, not just like me as a pastor, not Christy, but you can flourish in the church. And part of what this means is flourishing in truth. Flourishing in truth. Um, This motivates us to put away falsehood. Put away falsehood. Our thoughts, our words, our actions in the church matter because each of us matter. Instead of trying to, uh, like when you think like, okay, what does it mean to put away falsehood, to speak the truth with his neighbor? I think like at a shallow level, it's like if someone comes up to you with some new clothes and they're like, do these clothes look good on me? And you're like... Ah, uh, no? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I spoke the truth in love. Well, that's not what this is talking about. That's super shallow, okay? What this is talking about is far deeper. It's far more significant. Um, Matthew 7 is, Matthew 7, 1 is a verse that our culture takes out of context all the time. And our, church, our culture, like, half speaks Matthew 7. But Matthew 7, I think, guides us in, like, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? So Matthew 7, uh, verse 1, feel free, I'll, it'll be up here, so uh, feel free to not turn to it, but if you want to uh, write it in the journals, you can. Judge not that you be not judged. So that's like the culture of our age, right? Ju- judge not that you be not judged. A lot of times people just stop there. But then it actually gets worse. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now that's where it usually stops. You hypocrite. And it's like, okay, you live the life you want to live, and I guess I'll live the life that I want to live. 
You have your social media feed that customizes your reality. I'll have my feed that customizes my reality over here. You hypocrite. But it, look, God continues to write here. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's actually assuming that we're going to want to take the speck out of each other's eyes. We're going to want to speak the truth. We're going to love the truth and speak the truth, but with people who have just had logs taken out of their eye, right? So we're not doing that proud. We're not feeling better than other people, but we're actually wanting to follow the one that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we're loving truth, and we're wanting to speak truth to each other, fully aware that we need it as much as you so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We're flourishing. We are flourishing when we're speaking truth to each other in the church. Why do we do this? Verse 25, Ephesians 4, we are members one of another. If you are dying on the vine, we're connected to you, and we're feeling that too. If you are flourishing, we're connected to you, and we are feeling that too. We're rejoicing with those who rejoice. We're weeping with those who weep. We're in this together. We're his body. We help each other flourish in the church. Another thing that flourishing in the church means is that our hearts, our hearts should hate evil. Our hearts should hate evil. It's okay to be angry at darkness. Look at verse 26. Be angry. How often does Jesus command us to be angry? (laughs) This is is a command. This is one of the 13 commands. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We should be angry at human trafficking. We should be so angry with addictions, with meth addiction that's just slowly killing people we love. We should be angry with sins that have plagued us for decades. We should be angry at not being present with our kids in the way that we know that we want to. We should be angry at that. We should be angry at new temptations. We should be angry uh, like Jesus is angry as he overturns the tables of money changers who are taking advantage of people who are wanting to get to God. He was angry, but it was a righteous anger towards sin. He wasn't sinning. His anger was directed to putting the devil out of business. The mission of our church, our mission is multiplying gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. And so for us to see darkness in our community, inside us, around us, and to be engaged in pushing it back, because we're not, we're not hopeless cowering in a corner. We're actually on mission with Jesus, who's the defeater of these things and seeks our wholeness and our flourishing. Bible scholar John Stott has said this. He's a, a great scholar who lived in England. Uh, he passed away several years ago. Uh, but he has said, there's a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant. Angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, his people should hate it too. If evil arouses his anger, it should arouse ours also. And some of you who fight for justice, I mean, that's, 
seeing it done on earth as it is in heaven. Flourishing in the church also means that our hands should be doing honest work. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. (laughs) This just makes me chuckle. Like, I hope we have thieves in our church. Like, when when Paul is writing a letter to Ephesus, he's like, hey, all y'all in there that are thieves... You know, people are looking around, you know, it's like, sorry, man, your TV's in my house. You know, I stole it five years ago or something, you know? Like, all, like, we should have thieves in our church, right? Because in one sense, I mean, like, all of us have areas where in our flesh we are so far from God. And so here he's assuming, hey, the thief in your church, he shouldn't steal anymore as now he's following the one who provides for him and his heart is now centered on Jesus. So rather than stealing Here's what you need to disciple the thief to do. Like, don't just take him out back and beat him up. What you should disciple him to do is to work. So part of him flourishing in the church is to learn how to work. Do, do honest work with your hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Turn the thief into a giver. That's how Jesus turns the world right side up. He changes our hearts to be like him, and he's given all. Jesus could have demanded it all for himself. He's worthy of that, yet he gave all. And a thief is following Jesus. Our hands should do honest work. And if you'd say, well, I'm not a thief, but I hate my job, or this or this or the other thing. Man, this is, God is laying here like, Do honest work with your hands. Be generous. Be generous to those around you. You'll see yourself flourishing. You'll stop saying mine, mine. You'll start saying his, his. Verse 29 then takes us to the last part of flourishing the church. It means that our words matter for the church to flourish. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that may give grace to those who hear to our wife, to our kids, to our friends, to people we've never met before, we bump into around town, our words should build people up. Life is too short to tear down others. Jesus never treats us this way. Jesus never gives us a tongue lashing. We need to follow his lead and flourish in the church. And so Jesus, would you help us flourish? What I would just say too is if the Lord has like pricked your heart on any of those things, like write it down because halfway into the potluck, you might be like, oh man, I, don't, I remember I was moved on something, but uh, it's now gone because I'm eating pie or something. So um, I would just write it down. You can go back to it. Uh, you can pray about it. Ask the Lord to show you. Maybe it's a job change or something like that might be that you need to step into. But we're then taking to an area of flourishing. So he isn't just like, hey, this is the way I want you to look in the church. I'm going to command you to look this way. Now, as God always does, he says, I'm going to empower you to do what I'm asking you to do. Okay, I'm going to give you the strength to do what I'm asking you to do. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So the kind of second big point here is you can flourish with the Spirit. You can flourish with the Holy Spirit. 
and you're like, holy who? Who is this? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So our God is not confusing, but he's complex, okay? Which we should expect God to be complex when he created this place and he created us. He's not simple like a color. He's a complex being that's far more complex than us. And the Bible teaches all day that there's one God. And then the Bible clearly teaches our one God exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So here what we're being told is don't grieve the third person of the Trinity, God himself, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when you put your trust in Jesus, we learn from other places in Scripture, it's like you're given a wedding ring, like an engagement ring, and that's the Holy Spirit who's like, hey, with that on you, you are promised heaven. Like, there's nothing you can do to drive yourself away from Jesus. Like, that's the, what he did when he purchased you and you putting your faith in him. And here it's saying, hey, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's committed to you. Don't push him away. He's working for our flourishing. He's working for us to look more like Jesus. Here's what it looks like when you don't Draw near to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit change you. Here's what it looks like. Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. You're clamoring after things. Slander, malice. You're not kind to each other. You don't have a tender heart. You have a hard heart. You don't forgive people. Like that's when we're far from the Holy Spirit. It's not just like, well, I'm having a bad day. It's like, no, man, I, if I draw near to the Spirit... Here's what Galatians 5, through 23 says. This is fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like if you came up to me and said, hey, your son Silas, he's on this basketball team. He just started the Collins Maxwell basketball team. And it's like, there's a kid on that team that if Silas hangs out with this kid on the team, he will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'd be like, man, you should hang out with that kid. <laughs> like, you should like, live with that kid. I mean, that's like, not just surface, like true joy, true peace. Like, not just it looks like you're at peace, but you actually have peace deep down inside. Like, that's what it says, like, the closer we get to the Holy Spirit and look to him and say, Spirit, man, I need you. I need you to empower me to be this way. And that is flourishing with the Spirit, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Quick to forgive each other because Christ has forgiven us. We're made to flourish in the church. We're made to flourish with the Spirit. Then Ephesians turns a, a wild turn and says, we are made to flourish like him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. I didn't know this until I started studying this. This is the only place in the entire Bible. There's like 1,200 chapters in the Bible. This is the only place where it says, be imitators of God. Not like, be imitators of Ian Freeman or be imitators of Kim Ball, but be imitators of God. 
Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he, I mean, if I, if I go up to Casey and I'm like, Casey, imitate God. I mean, your first inclination is like, no way. I'm not even going to try. Like, are you serious? Are you actually serious? Like, I could be like God. I could imitate God. Okay, none of us will ever be eternal, right? We have a birthday, but uh, but for him to say like, no, you're imitate me. When you see my life, when we read of God and and what He does, it's like, hey, imitate me, be an imitator of me, and um, our response has to be, you're going to have to show me how to do this. You're going to have to give me the ability to do this because there's no way. I can do this on my own. And I think he would say, hey, we're, we've taken a good step. <laughs> You're relying on me. Thank you. I've been seeking to get your attention, and you're relying on me. Thank you. Um, he mentions there, be imitators of me as beloved children. So, I mean, it's silly, but like none of us would raise our hand if it was, hey, were you born in the hospital of heaven, right? We could write like a cutesy poem, right? But no, like I was born in Marshalltown Hospital. That's where I was born because I wasn't born into God's family. I was born into the Kimberly family. But I was adopted into God's family when I put my faith in Jesus, and that's what scripture explains. Well, I don't know if some of you may have been adopted or close to people who were adopted. Um, all of our friends that Patty and I have that have adopted people, early on in the adoption, there's always like a war. And what that war typically is, is unfortunately kids who are used to being discarded and are used to not being loved, and are used to being put away. And so a kid will just naturally be like, hey, let's just get this over right away. You're not gonna be committed to me. You're not gonna love me. So I'm just gonna make life to where you do what you're gonna do anyway, which is get rid of me. And so every adoption story I know of has a kid running away, has a kid doing like the worst stuff ever, because what they're basically doing is testing the love and assuming it's not gonna hold. And then they're just getting the disappointment away quickly, as opposed to five years from now when the kid's given back up to the system or whatever it may be. And <laughs> when he invites us to be imitators of him as beloved children, I think our inclination is like, no. I'll show him he doesn't love me. I'll push him away. I'll do some stuff where what I know is true, which is that he's going to go and use other people. Or he's going to look for a different church. Or, or he's not going to really, he's probably, that's probably true of some people, but he's disappointed in me. And he's ashamed of me. And he, uh, he just wishes I was different. That's not what he says. What he says is... Uh, Be imitators of me as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He loves us in adoption. He loves us through a great sacrifice. We can flourish like him because the most powerful one to ever walk this earth did it for us. Out of love, he gave himself up for us. If he was going to walk away from us, he would have done it a long time ago. It was a beautiful, fragrant offering, proving his love. In war, like people don't, they don't give the ultimate sacrifice for strangers. Like my brother-in-law who served several tours, he told me, he's like, who I fight for is my friend. I fight for my buddy right next to me because I want us all to get home together. That's who I'm fighting for when I'm on the battle lines. And here we're being told, like, he's working to get us all home safely together, and his love for us is fully committed. And, man, I just, my question for all of us is, has our heart been melted by this love? That we can flourish like him because we're near to him, we're learning from him, we're receiving his love for us. And God, I just ask that you would show each of us where we go from here. Would you do surgery on our hearts right now? For those in this room who have been looking elsewhere for their salvation in themselves, in work, in family, in status updates, in grades, in money, would we just look to you to save? Would you show us where we aren't flourishing in the church? Would you show us where we aren't flourishing with the Spirit? Would you show us where we aren't flourishing like you? Areas where we're still testing your adoption love, areas where we're waiting for you to walk away, would those become areas where your love softens us, breaks us, frees us, where your command to be an imitator of you becomes your power changing us to make it possible? You're calling us up. You're calling us up to such great high places. You've adopted us. You've empowered us. You know us. You love us. You have a plan for us to actually act like you. In our life, others will find their life in you. That's a holy calling. Lord, that's a holy calling, and we accept your holy calling. Use us. Change us in this community. Change us from the inside out. Be with us. We're here with you. Lord, we just give a moment for you to just communicate to us. We run so fast and hard, sometimes we don't have ears to quietly listen. Lord, move us this morning as we hear from you. Jesus, you're the center of our lives. For some, that might be a prayer. That's a prayer for all of us. Lord, we ask that you would, you would steer us, change us in a way that a year from now we can say we have flourished more in the last year than we did the year before because you're pursuing us. It's your sacred mission that we're a part of. So, Lord, bring us awake. 
enliven our hearts, Lord. We want to be alive in you. These things like our speech, like our hands, our heart, Lord, all the things that you care about, Lord, would you do the work in us to change us for our good, for the good of our family, for the good of your community. Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Um, A very, very um, appropriate way to respond is his idea. Um, He created communion for us to commune with him. So this is an incredible time when our faith becomes tangible, sight, taste, smell. Um, He gave his body for us, and he also tells us he is the bread of life. If we eat anywhere else, we'll be hungry again. If we eat the bread of life, our souls will have rest in him. And so what we'll do is come and take the bread and then just hold on to it and feel free to go back to your seats. And then, um, and then his blood that washes us white as snow, proof to us of his love that he didn't hold back. He went all the way for us, for our redemption. And so the red color is wine. The light color is juice. Obey your conscience there. We have gluten-free crackers in the white bowl. And so let's take the elements together. We'll go back to our seats, and then we'll take it all together as family. And if you are not a follower of Jesus right now, um, Scripture says don't take this because this is, this is a meal uh, communing with him. So instead of taking this, take on Christ. Instead of, instead of taking this meal, put your faith in Jesus, uh, then you can come and take this meal. I'll be available if you want to pray about it too, uh, but let's come, let's respond, get to the elements, and then we'll take it together.